Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Are you guys thankful for Jesus? Oh, man, what a, what a good God he is, right? Hey, um, let me just say thank you for, for being here this morning. We are so excited that you're here. We're excited about what Jesus is doing at South Valley and, uh, and how he's going to change uh, this community. Let me, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you grew up in church? And if you're online, you can just throw a raise hand emoji in the chat. We'll know what that means. Okay, so a good chunk of you grew up in church. I did too. Uh, if you didn't, that's, that's totally fine. I can only speak for the 90s and on, uh, so um, I, I can tell you that even in that short amount of time, like there was, there was some weird stuff that might be okay that you missed if you didn't grow up in church, but uh, um, so for those of you who did grow up in church, how many of you remember Father Abraham? And, and I'm not talking about a priest for those of you who might be confused. Um, yeah, so a good chunk of you remember Father Abraham. Um, you know, it, it was actually a song that we would sing, right? And there were like hand motions that went to it and all of that, and we'd be singing it, and then randomly, suddenly, like we're marching, and it's weird. And, uh, and so the, like we'd sing this song over and over and over again. You'd start by you'd be swinging your arms, and then eventually you'd start stomping your feet. And then at some point, you know, we start nodding our heads, and we're spinning in circles, and see, okay, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, I am so sorry, because this sounds so weird. For those of you who did grow up in church, you know how weird this is, right? Um, but this, this is a thing that we did. Um, now, see, here's the best part. Here's the best part. I grew up where every single song that we sang before Sunday school had these hand motions to them, and, and we would learn them, and sometimes they made sense. And, uh, but the, the, true, the truly best part is that when I grew up, dancing was strictly forbidden, right? See, that dancing was, it was off limits. I grew up Baptist. That's a big no-no. And uh, because if you dance, then, then everyone gets pregnant, I think. Um, nobody explained <laughs> it super well to me, but that's, that's the conclusion I came to. But see, we weren't allowed to dance, but then these rules are confusing because we couldn't do it unless the Sunday school teacher was leading us. In, well, it wasn't dancing. It was just moving your bodies to the rhythm of music, right? Hand motions. That's what we call them, hand motions. But see, rules are confusing, right? Rules can have a tendency to be confusing. But if, if you think that rules in a Baptist church can be confusing then try reading the book of Leviticus, <laughs> all right? Um, actually, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're, let's start in the New Testament this morning. A while back, I, I preached from the book of Mark, chapter 12, when Jesus said that the most important commandment was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that wasn't the only thing that Jesus said. And so, so I want to go back, and I want to finish that passage off with you guys this week. Is that all right? All right. Two of you said it's all right. That's all I need. So uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 
this morning. Head over to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. If you hit Luke or John, you went too far. Pretty easy to find. So Mark chapter 12, and starting in verse 28, we read this. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then here, here we go. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So, I realized that it was, it was a few weeks ago that we went over the first part of this passage, and, and, and I'm only 28, and I can barely remember yesterday, so I'm not going to ask you guys to try and remember that far back, because that's just unfair. But uh, if you want to go back and get a refresher after church, you can always go online and find the message, Loving God, and, uh, and get refreshed on that. But, but in the meantime, to give you a little bit of context, Jesus is being questioned by the religious elite, and, and he's not being questioned because he's really smart, because he has a lot of answers. Granted, those would be good reasons to question Jesus, but that's not why they were questioning him. They were questioning him because they hated him, because they were trying to trap him and do exposing himself as who they believed to be just some random guy and not the son of God who he claimed to be. And so they were trying to trap him, and, and they've asked him about taxes. They've asked him about marriage. They've asked him about the resurrection. And now, now they're asking him about Old Testament law. And now, when we went over this last time, we talked about the first part of this passage, where, where Jesus' response to them, to the, what's the most important commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We saw that when we went over this, that Jesus was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, that, that he was quoting the sacred Hebrew prayer that's called the Shema. And, and it was this prayer that the Jews would pray every single morning and every single evening. So, so they knew this. They knew where Jesus was going with this. And now, as we look at the second half of this, we see that, that Jesus answers that the second part is to love your neighbor as yourself. And once again, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. Just this time, he's quoting from the book of Leviticus. The dude nails our favorite Old Testament books, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Anybody else? Just me. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Now, now I want to lay some groundwork here, and I want to say something in all seriousness. As we get into this, it is possible that some feathers may be ruffled. It is possible that There may be things that bother you, and I want to be very clear, that is not my intention. This this is a message on love, and I simply want to read through the Bible with you, see what it has to say to us, and let it encourage us, let us wrestle with it, and let us come out the other side closer to Jesus. Does that work? All right. You agreed to it. So, So at the end of the book of Exodus... The Israelites, are, they, they've just left Egypt. Uh, they were kept as slaves there. They left there, and they, they're continuing to disobey God, and they're wandering in the wilderness. And, and during that time, 
towards the end of the book of Exodus, they've just completed uh, building the tabernacle, which is where God and humanity will meet. And, and we read at the end of Exodus that, that Moses, it says that Moses completes the construction of the tabernacle, and he could not enter into it. All this work, and he can't go in. Leviticus is the groundwork for God and humanity being able to sit in communion with one another. And there's these laws that are given to to teach the people how, how to live, how to be in the presence of God, of this good, perfect, just, and holy God, to live as God created them to live. And we also have to understand that these are not statutory laws like, like what we would understand. And the simplest way I can describe that is that if someone is taken to court and is being tried, these are not laws that are going to be brought up in a way of questioning them to see if they followed verbatim or not, and that decides whether or not they're guilty. Rather, the, these laws are concepts that God is bringing to his people right? Because there, go read through it. There are these strange laws about like how you can do your hair and what kind of clothes you can wear and and things like that. And so when we read them, we should be asking the question, what principle is God teaching me to make me more like him? What principle is God teaching me to make me more like him. So, so let's dive in with that mindset. What is God trying to teach us so that we can be more like him? And here's where Jesus quotes. He quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. And if you, if you having trouble finding it or if you didn't bring your Bible, it'll be up on the screens. Leviticus 19, and in verse 18, we see Jesus' quote. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, here's the deal, church. Jesus told us in John chapter 13 that everyone would know that we are his followers by our love for one another. If we can't figure out how to love others who share a common love of Jesus with us, then it's going to be incredibly difficult for us to love anyone at all, right? If we can't figure out how to love people who share a love for Jesus, then loving anyone is going to be difficult. This is, this is the easy part, right? And, and in this context, Moses is just, as he's writing this, he's laying down this, this flurry of laws at this point, and, and some of them are commandments, some of them are not. But we have to ask, what's the point of all of these laws, right? What is Moses trying to accomplish? What is God trying to accomplish as he gives these laws to Moses? And so, to get the context, if we just jump back up to the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God wants us to be like him. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to have life like he has. He, he, want us, he wants us to love like he loves. He wants us to value justice like he values justice. 
He called us to be a beacon of hope that brings his goodness into all of the world. And the only way that we are to bring his love and goodness into the world is by being like him. And, And let me be clear too. Holiness does not mean to be just extra religious, right? It doesn't mean that you, you put on the fancy robes and, and the funny hat and all that kind of stuff, right? It just means to be different. It means to be different. The, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness at this point, right? In the midst of all of these different countries and, and cultures who are worshiping other gods. But Yahweh, the God of the Bible, Israel's God, Yahweh, is different. He is compassionate. He is love. He is just. He is for his people. He is for life. And in contrast, you have gods of these neighboring countries like that of Molech, who demands child sacrifices. Yahweh is different. He stands out among all the gods of the other nations. So it starts here, church. It starts with us in this room together this morning, learning to love one another, loving our neighbor, loving those among us, as we read, as we read in verse 18, to be different as our God is different. And, and here's the fun part. Even though we all have Jesus in common, do you realize how different we are? Realistically, I I mean, I'm going to stir the pot a little bit, and it's going to be fun, okay? Look around the room a little bit. You actually have to do it. Look around the room a little bit. Look Look at some of the other people who are in here. Do you realize that not everyone in here voted for the same president as you? I know, right? Do you realize that that does not make them any less of a Christian than you? And it's not an excuse to not love them. We are simply, we have Jesus in common, church. Amen? We have Jesus in common. We love each other. We can be different and still love each other. So how do we love? Let's address that question. How do we love? How do we love those among us? A few years ago, my my wife and I were, we were at a party for a one-year-old. And, uh, I mean, there are literally just kids all over the place, screaming and running and playing and doing all of the insane things that kids do, right? And we brought our daughter into the mix, and, and we know that this birthday party is for one of her best friends, and that she's going to be spending the entire day with him, she's going to have a blast. And so we just kind of put her out there and let her do her thing, right? And so after a while, we've, we've spent some time at the party for a while now, and I look out the window... And outside, I see my daughter playing alone on a teeter-totter. I don't know, did you guys say teeter-totter or seesaw? Okay, anybody who says seesaw is wrong. But um, listen, have you ever tried to play on a teeter-totter alone? Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? And, and I'm looking, and there are all these kids running around outside, having a blast, having fun, and my kid is playing alone on a teeter-totter. And, and, and as I was looking out, I, I laughed a little bit, because I was like, man, if I ever saw myself in my kid, 
right? Like, this, she is me. And I, I always hated going to birthday parties growing up because even though, even though I had friends there, there were more people there who weren't my friends than who were my friends, and I was not about to make new friends, right? Like, that was, growing up, I was like, nope, that is, I have enough people in my life, and they're weird and complicated, and relationships are messy, and nope, I'm good. I'm good with what I got. I don't need more work. And what I didn't realize, see, what I realized in that moment is that I was teaching my daughter how to love. I was teaching my daughter how to love those among her. And she wasn't naturally going to do a better job than me. I had to do better. I had to do better. And whether we've got kids or not, grandkids or not, we've got another generation looking at us, coming to be the church after us. They're looking to us to see how do we love? How do we love those among us and those around us? And so my wife and I looked at this and, and we decided, we talked, and we decided that we wanted to start making it a point to invite people into our home. But, but here's the deal. I think that for most of us, we're pretty good at loving those, loving the people who look like us, right, who act like us. That's, that's the easy part. And so we made an agreement that we were going to make a point to invite people to our table who look, think, and act differently than we do. Because ultimately, we knew that this would be the best way to teach our children how to love. And and that's the plan that God has had all along. The the story of the Bible is God calling out a man called Abraham and and telling him that it would be through him and his family that God would bless all of the nations, right? God didn't just say, through you, I'm going to bless Israel. He said, through you, I will bless everyone. All of the nations will be blessed through you and your family. God's plan was to send Abraham out to love the world and to let them see that he and his family are holy as their God, Yahweh, is holy. And and there's something else really big here in Leviticus chapter 19 that I want you to see. I don't want you to miss this. There, There are two places that we're told to love others as we love ourselves. And we looked at this first one, and we see that we have to know how to love those who are among us first if we want to love anyone. If we can't figure that out, that's just the easy part. So the first challenge is to simply love those who also love Jesus. But it doesn't stop there, okay? So Leviticus 19, if we, if we fast forward a little bit and get to verse 33, we read in verse 33 and 34, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I'm just going to let that sit a minute. That's the Bible. I'm, I'm not making a point. This is just what God has to say to his people. This is what God has for his people to know and to value. And listen, this may be tough to hear, but 
if you can try your best just for a moment to try and lay down whatever worldview that, that you've made up, because I've got my own worldviews, and I've got to try the best that I can to lay them down as I read through the Bible and learn more about God, to try to just sit in the worldview that God has for me and allow Him to shape the way I see people and the world around me. And as we do that, I, w- I want us together to think about how we can love in new and fresh ways as we move through this. See, contextually, God is saying that, that as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they will be surrounded by people who want to kill them, who worship different gods than them, who practice sexuality different than them, who, who have different family values than them, who treat women different than them, on and on and on and on down the list. And he simply says that as they come in among you, love them. Love them as if they've always been one of you. The love that you've had for each other, have that love for them. And you know, I've, I've spent my entire life around Christians. And I've seen a lot of Christians who talk about the different ways that they love people around them. And I just have to say that I'm glad that they chose not to love me the way that they love people different than them. Their goal is to exclusively love them through tough love, to teach them why they're wrong. And listen, I do not believe, I want to be very clear about this, I do not believe that love and justice can exist in vacuums. They're always connected. We see that in the character of God. And my kids have to experience tough love at times. But step one is relationship. Step one is not the tough love. Step one is relationship and first establishing that love is there at all. And and do me a favor. You actually have to do this this time, okay? Do me a favor. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Kind of rest your shoulders a little bit. Move your neck around if you need to. You know, relax a little bit. I'm, I'm going to let some, some weight come off your shoulders real quick, okay? Jesus told us that it would be good for him to leave. Because he said that when he leaves, he will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and lead us into all truth. Listen, that's the Spirit's job, okay? And he does a far better job at, us, at it than any of us do. That's his job. Jesus called us to love, to love God and to love others. Church, can I, can I get vulnerable with you for a minute? I have never shared this from the stage before. At any church, and in really any church context. But when I was going through seminary, I was also struggling with an addiction to pornography. I I was wrestling with a sexual sin. And I thought that getting married would fix it, but it didn't. And during my time at seminary, I I had made some really good friends, some lifelong friends. One in particular who had begun sharing some fairly vulnerable things with me. And and I I still remember the moment that the Holy Spirit met me to convict me like he never had before. I mean, he, he'd been convicting me all along, but he met me specially in this moment. It was remarkably painful. And I remember him telling me 
that I needed to tell my friend. I, I remember him telling me that I needed to confess my sin to my friend and to my wife. And I cannot even begin to express to you how difficult that was. But eventually I obeyed. And do you know what I was met with? Love. On both fronts, my friend chose to love me. My wife chose to love me. And that does not mean that it wasn't difficult for them too. They could have condemned me. And in fact, I was sure that they would. They could have turned their backs on me. They could have written me off. They could have avoided me. But they chose to love me. And see, loving people the way that Jesus loves people means allowing the Holy Spirit to convict them of their mess. And while he's at that, we love them by inviting them to our table and sitting in their mess with them, just like Jesus would have done. And the beauty of this story is that I can now say to all of you that there is hope, that there is freedom on the other side, that there is grace. See, I, I have seen single mothers banished from the church for sexual sin. I have seen people abused for their sexual preferences. I, I have known babies aborted all because of fear of the church, because of churches who didn't know how to love the way that Jesus loves. And listen, to all of you who are hurting, whether it's sexual sin or, or something else, listen, I know in a room this size, there are going to be a lot of us, if not all of us, who have our own hurts, addictions, problems, whatever it may be. I want you to know that there is hope. I want you to know that there is freedom. I want you to know that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I want you to know that Jesus took all of your pain on himself. He took all of your condemnation on himself so that you wouldn't have to. Church, there is freedom. There is freedom. And to the rest of us, church, to the rest of us, May we love. May we have empathy. May we listen. See, there's this story in the Bible in John chapter 4 where uh, there's this woman who's a Samaritan, and, and Jesus meets her at a well in the middle of the day. And the story is, is dicey because of her race and Jesus' race. The two of them should not have met together. But it's also dicey because this woman is caught up in sexual sin, and Jesus knows it. And he goes and he meets her at a well where love stories would often happen in the Bible. And you can go, you can read this story for yourself. John chapter 4, you can go and you can read it. But when we get to the end of this story, we see that this woman ends up telling the whole community, which she had been avoiding, by the way, about the Messiah Jesus. She's running through with excitement, telling everyone about this man. And we see these mass amounts of people coming together to meet Jesus. And all of this happened because Jesus went out of his way to invite someone different than him to his table. See, you may have heard the expression that people should know what we're for more than for what we're against. That's how Jesus lived. He was for people. He was for the hurting and for the broken, and people knew it. And listen, I want to be very, very, very clear on this. 
I am not telling you to drop your convictions. Church, sin is sin. It's real. And it separates from God. It is a problem. We don't compromise our convictions. But if the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, then sin is not an excuse for those of us who have been redeemed by grace, those of us who are constantly experiencing grace, to neglect or to avoid the sinners. It's not an excuse. Tim Keller once said, truth without love is harshness. It may be right, but you ignore it because of its bite. Truth and love together transforms. Let me try to bring this together for you. When Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19, he knows that there are loads of different laws surrounding these couple of laws that we looked at in this chapter. He knows that some of them consider how we relate to God, but that most of them are how we relate to other people. But don't forget how we started. Leviticus is a book about how we can commune with God, how we can sit at his table. And first, first and foremost, this happens through the shed blood of Jesus. That's why we see all these sacrifices through the book of Leviticus. This happens through the shed blood of Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him first, he died in your place and rose again to give you a seat at the table if you would accept it. But for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we sit at the table of God when we invite others to sit at ours. We commune with God when we commune with others. Jesus told us that when we love the least of these, that is when we love him. That's what Leviticus is teaching us. That's that's what Jesus was trying to teach the teachers of the law when he quoted Leviticus 19. He, He was trying to get them to see that they need to commit to loving God with every ounce of their being, and that cannot happen unless they are also loving those who are around them as themselves. God is telling his people to be holy as he's holy. Just just like I watched my little girl sitting on that teeter-totter by herself, I realized that I was myself teaching her to be an introvert who can miss out on goodness in life because of a fear of meeting new people. Our Father is telling us, look at me. Watch me to see how to love. Watch the God who left his home and stepped into a foreign land. Watch the God who loved the unlovable, touched the untouchable, saw the unseeable, and assured them of their value. He didn't condemn them. He invited them into something better, into a better life, a fulfilled life, a true life. That's what we're here to do, church. Let the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, and we partner with him by inviting our community into a better life, into a full life, and into that true life. If you are being holy as God is holy, then you will stand out in your community the same way that Yahweh stood out among all the other false gods of all the other nations. You will be a beacon of hope, love, and life. Because you belong to him. Because you are his. 
Don't forget that you were once in bondage to sin. Don't forget where you came from. And don't forget what you had to, earn, what you had to do to earn where you are now. Nothing. You were simply loved because God chose to love you. So how can you be like him? You can love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And and so here's how I want to challenge you. I want each of us to take an honest look at our lives and see how we can be holy as God is holy. How can we love our neighbors as ourselves? And how can we love those who don't look like us? And and let's be honest, it can be very uncomfortable to love certain people, right? We can be honest here. It can be hard to love certain people, but God never gave us an opt-out. He never told us to love others as long as fill in the blank. He, He never told us to love others if fill in the blank. See, regardless of what you think of other people, regardless of of how they sin, how they sin differently than you, or how their life is different than yours, they are still made in the image of God. And they have supreme value because of that alone. So I want to to challenge you to invite new people to your table. Learn to love in new and extravagant ways. Ask yourself, Honestly, ask yourself the question, who could I love better? Who could I love better? And I want you to invite that person to your table. Invite people to your table who do not look, think, or act like you. Because if we simply love each other, those of us in this room together, that's only a part of it. And it's the easy part of that. See, you were given the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power of God that raised the dead body of Jesus out of the grave. If you are a Jesus follower, then you live with that power inside of you. And it is that power that you have to love those around you in ways that they have never experienced love before. Invite them to your table. Build relationships with them. Share the goodness of God and invite them into a better, fuller, and truer life that Jesus has for all of us. Let's be the church that Jesus called us to be and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word and your goodness. And God, we we thank you that you chose to love us in our own mess in our own rebellion. You chose to love us. You went out of your way to love us. And you worked to find a way to invite us to your table. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. And as as we sit in your holiness, as we commune with you and gaze upon your holiness, we pray that you would teach us to be holy as you are holy. And that we would be a beacon of hope to the world around us. That we would love in ways that the world would see that only a Christian could love like this. Only somebody filled with the power of the Holy Spirit could love like this. Cause us to overflow with an abundance of love for those around us. Teach us to invite them. Invite them into something better that you have. A fullness of life that you have. Life lived your way what we were designed for. Jesus, we love you. We give you all of the praise. 
and we lay ourselves at your feet today. Do with us as you wish. And it's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a good week.